0: hello friends as the IMF embarked on debt relief in 2005 this article tried to lay out the circumstances under which that made sense debt relief and growth in a number of developed countries debt relief for low-income countries has become an important political issue rock stars and politicians rightly point to the overwhelming burden borne by poor countries who have to set aside a significant fraction of their national income to repay creditors. What's still, they argue, much of this debt is odious built up by past corrupt dictators who whisked the money to Swiss bank accounts. Furthermore, evidence that countries with high debt tend to have low growth suggests that debt relief can help poor countries grow several debt relief proposals are on the table but there is little agreement among donors on which uh, one makes the most, most sense the proposal typically have a one-size-fits-all flavor in part because uniform treatment would avoid politicking by potential recipients but would poor countries benefit from uniform treatment This article tries to clarify some of the broad principles that could lead to an optimal debt relief proposal. Net flows, not debt relief matter. Consider a poor country that uh, has to repay $100 million to official creditors such as developed countries or international financial institutions in the current period assume it earns 50 million dollars in foreign exchange in this period and has no other resources clearly it cannot repay the debt fully out of its own resources now consider three alternative proposals first the creditors do not forgive the debt but lend 120 million dollar to the country second creditors forgive the date down to 50 million dollar but lend nothing third creditors forgive the entire date and lend nothing which alternative is best for the country assuming this country has no access to private capital markets the answer seems obvious full date forgiveness which would be twice as good as half date forgiveness and surely better than a loan that is not much bigger than the full date amount. Yet, when viewed in terms of net resources available to the country during the period under the first proposal, these would amount to $70 million, the loan of $120 million plus in of $50 million, less the repayment of $100 million. Under the second, they would amount to nothing, while under the third they would amount to 50 million dollars of immediate importance to a resource-starved poor country is the amount of additional resources it gets in the current period termed additionality the best proposal in terms of additionality is the best is the first which offers no ba- no debt relief the point is that if uh, official creditors take with one hand Correcting debt service, but give more with the other in the form of a loan the poor country may have more financing in the short run than with the debt forgiveness and Debt forgiveness may actually be problematic if it exhausts donor aid budgets Of course without forgiveness in the long run the country will have more debt on its books which may become unsustainable in the three proposals, the country will end the period owing or uh, sorry, the period owing 120 million dollars, 50 million dollars, and nothing respectively. However, high or unsustainable debt is a problem only if it hurts the country's growth. Let us turn to that. High debt can be detrimental to a country's growth. It can increase the risk of financial distress or crisis when foreign creditors rush to cash in their claims, resulting in the failure of banks and firms. However, if official creditors hold the bulk of the poor country's debt, it is unlikely they will precipitate a crisis so the country will not experience a meltdown no matter what its level of debt. A second reason why a high level of debt might hurt is that it can create a date overhang problem for instance when a country has high debt outstanding private investors may be reluctant to invest for fear that uh, the debt will eventually be repaid by levying extra taxes on corporations similarly the government may hesitate to invest because the returns will largely go to service date hence High debt can impair, government, uh, impair investment and uh, thus growth and reducing debt may be necessary to jumpstart growth. Compelling as these arguments may be uh, in the case of emerging markets, I am not convinced that they are important for poor developing countries. Investors in poor countries face other, more significant impediments to investment such as a discouraging business climate and uneven regulation. A reduction in the level of government debt without any additional resources or policy change is unlikely to jumpstart investment. Some analysts have indeed found a negative correlation between debt and growth in poor countries, but there are other possible explanations. For instance, the causality could run from low growth to high debt. With countries that have weak growth, which may be due to poor policies, running larger deficits and thus borrowing more, if uh, this is the direction of a causality, then uh, debt forgiveness will not spur more growth and I have yet to see compelling evidence against this possibility. This means that for poor countries borrowing primarily from official creditors, the extent of debt forgiveness matters only uh, in that it uh, increases net resources sometimes more additionality at least in the short term can be obtained with no debt relief especially if forgiveness impairs donors aid budgets and the unsustainable outstanding date can eventually be dealt with uh, uh, through some mix of repayment and forgiveness when donors have more budget room a possible role for debt relief this is not to say debt relief never makes sense Debt relief could effectively provide predictable additional resources directly to the budget via the repayments that uh, no longer have, have to be made and uh, could offer a way to force coordination on uh, conditionality among donors. Equally important, debt relief could allow a poor country to obtain access to loans from private foreign investors. Private investors may be unwilling to lend to a highly de- indebted country for a fear that the country will be unable to repay but if official debt is completely forgiven or sorry if if official date is completely forgiven, uh, sorry, if, if, uh, is completely forgiven uh, they will jump into lane because uh, even the worst debtor can be trusted to service small amounts of debt thus official creditors may be able to expand a country's access to private resources through debt forgiveness Would such additional resources from the private sector be beneficial? That depends on how much official debt is left on the books, on the nature of the recipient government and on whether projects have a commercial or a social orientation. Clearly, if most of the official debt is forgiven, the the private sector has little need to be careful in its lending. Moreover, if the poor country's government is irresponsible, it can build up debt again by spending on worthless projects. As a result, the citizens of the recipient country will not benefit from this renewed debt buildup. In addition, donor countries will likely suffer from forgiveness or fatigue the next time around. By contrast, a moderate debt forgiveness can lead to higher quality investment as the private sector will have to evaluate the uh, profitability of projects carefully, which in turn can help improve the quality of commercial projects of course if projects produce a social return but no commercial one the private sector will likely not provide any funds and official aid will be necessary different situations different approaches let us then summarize where logic leads us if a poor country has no access to private markets and the investment climate is uh, bleak financial distress or debt Overhang are unlikely to result from high debt, or focus on date forgiveness as opposed to the net incremental resources available in the short run, that is additionality is misplaced debt forgiveness makes sense if uh, it generates more resources from the private sector but the country authorities must have the incentive to use resources well and the private sector to lend responsibly interestingly this means that uh, depending on the country's situation the status quo as well as any one of the three proposals i outlined could be the best approach for the country If the country's government is thoroughly corrupt then the status quo to forgiveness and no additional um, uh, sorry if the country's government is thoroughly corrupt then the status quo no forgiveness no additional aid is best for it gives the government no official resources to misuse and limits its ability to raise private sector funds aid in this case should be distributed directly to non-governmental organizations if the country has a reasonably committed government look at the country's primary need when social sector projects drop the list then what matters is the extent of official sector net funding here the first alternative debt is not forgiven but official creditors lend more is best but if most projects are commercially viable the second alternative is some relief really but leaving enough outstanding official date that uh, foreign private investors lay responsibly may be optimal. Finally, substantial date forgiveness is prudent if the risk of financial distress really is a serious problem and unlikely eventuality. But uh, there must be an assurance that the country does not borrow up again from private creditors and game the system to get further debt relief. Donor-imposed limits on borrowing may be needed. Political momentum in the developed world is building for offering some form of debt relief and while no developing country situation will fit neatly into these categories, debt relief proposals can be better crafted. Once it fits all proposals, while politically more convenient, are unlikely to benefit recipient countries as much as proposals that try debt relief and additional aid to a country-specific situation. Of course, the more transparent the proposals and the more quickly they can be implemented, the better of the recipients will be. Countries including India have often tried to argue for uh, buying stocks in commodity producers in uh, faraway lands as a way of ensuring national security. This article in Straight Talk in December 2006 explains why that is mistaken. The great game again. Some commentators see the desperate search by countries to acquire commodity producing firms in other typically poor developing countries as a repeat of the great game, the tussle among powers like Britain and Russia for influence in the Middle East and Central Asia during the 19th century. In this view, those that acquired the greatest share of commodity producers early on uh, will enjoy the greatest economic security in the future as growth in China, India and other populous developing countries create shortages of commodity resources. Economic security is the new justification for uh, purchases uh, such as minority stakes in opaque companies in poorly governed countries that would uh, otherwise make little business sense. In this replayed great game will those who more fastest and farthest uh, acquire the most economic protection does the gain from economic security term common business sense a questionable buying spree I'll leave aside the question of whether we have we are inevitably headed for a sustained period of commodity demand outstripping supply even though in the past uh, such predictions have proved unfolded let me take as given that uh, such an eventuality is possible to simplify the argument I'll assume that uh, state-owned companies undertake the acquisitions and that all income and value obtained flow directly to the citizens of the acquiring state a questionable assumption at best even under these strong assumptions should a country go on an acquisition spree to protect itself itself precisely how an is incipient imbalance between demand and supply would play out uh, matters consider the most likely situation where uh, A world market for a commodity, let's use the example of oil in what follows, continues to operate. If there is an incipient imbalance and oil is in fixed supply in the short run, the market price for oil will shoot up so that demand is brought down to equal supply. How does ownership of foreign oil assets help? One might think that a country that owns foreign oil can use the profits from sales to keep its domestic price low and thus insulate the economy from high oil prices, but this doesn't make economic sense. The market price of oil reflects its opportunity cost, rather than subsidize the price in the domestic oil market, and thus give domestic manufacturers and customers the incentive to use too much oil given its true cost. It would make the far, uh, it would make far better sense to let the domestic price rise to the international price and distribute the windfall profits from oil sales to the population. Put differently, suppose the country exported which gates that uh, it manufactured in an energy intensive way, it would be politically convenient to avoid layoffs and continue competing in the which gate uh, market by, by subsidizing the oil price uh, using the financial leeway from uh, foreign oil assets. But this would eat up the oil windfall by subsidizing both inefficient manufacturing and foreign widget uh, sorry foreign uh which gate uh, uh, uh buyers a more economical decision would be to shrink which manufacturing or shift to new new technologies uh, and uh, use the windfall to make transfer to citizens, especially those most if affected by high prices. These citizens would thus receive additional income when the price of oil rose, they would be hedged. The key point is that fundamental economic decisions shouldn't be affected by the ownership of additional foreign oil uh, assets. However, because of pressure exerted by small, powerful, affected interest groups, politics will intervene and oil windfalls will inevitably be spent in unwise subsidies. As a result, the acquiring country will, if anything, make suboptimal economic decisions because of the financial windfall available through hedging. But let's assume the country always makes the right economic decisions. Does hedging lead to to more financial security? A hedge will always look beneficial if one looks backward after the price has risen. But if the price of oil had fallen, citizens would have suffered a loss of income and wealth from having uh, bought foreign oil assets relative to having instead invested the money elsewhere. Assuming the foreign oil assets were priced fairly at the time of purchase, the country benefits only when the hedge helps smooth its income and wealth. This uh, this isn't obviously true even for a country that relies heavily on oil. For instance, in a large country like the United States or China, which account for a significant portion, uh, portion of world demand, the world price of oil is likely to be high when the country is growing strongly and citizens have lots of income. Whereas, the price is likely to be low when the country is doing poorly, foreign oil assets are a bad hedge in such a case for they subtract from citizens income when uh, it's already low and add to it when it's high. Indeed, and this may seem heretical, the country might be better off selling its domestic oil assets to foreigners and investing the proceeds in non-oil assets. Even if owning oil assets is a useful hedge. As in a small oil-consuming country, it's not clear that buying stakes in opaque companies in poorly governed foreign countries is the way to go. As the oil price increases, a poorly governed country is more tempered to expropriate foreign owners of its oil industry through extortionary taxation or nationalization, especially if the domestic public feels with the benefit of hindsight and populist egging that the assets had been sold too cheaply in the past the security of a country's ownership of oil assets in poorly governed foreign countries likely diminishes when the oil price rises planning for a bleak world how they ensure a small country hedge oil price risk liquid oil into financial securities in well-governed financial markets such as oil futures traded in developed markets make the most sense but not enough is available very far out that do however exist liquid long-dated oil inter securities the equity of large oil companies so without being uh fascious, perhaps the best advice I could offer countries seeking to hedge oil price risk is uh, by Exxon Shares. If economic security isn't the reason, why would a country want to buy large interest in poorly managed oil companies in dangerous locations? It might make good business sense. The target is poorly managed and can benefit from the know-how and management the acquirer provides. provides. Um, but then uh, this is a sound business case for uh, buying the asset untainted by specious claims of enhancing national security it's important that the targets price not fully discount these future managerial improvements for instance targets in countries that are international perihas are are uh, sorry, maybe maybe attractive for uh, acquiring countries that are still willing to do business with them because the acquisition price may be extremely low. Otherwise, it, uh, otherwise it's hard to see how the acquirer will ex- escape the customary fate of acquisitions. They typically overpay and lose money in the long run other reasons are less good one is that countries fear a total market breakdown and descend into an at uh, autarkic mad max world in which oil is scarce no country is willing to allow trade in what it has and there is no world market clearing price it's not clear that if such a situation were to come to pass ownership of oil assets abroad would help most likely the governments within whose borders those assets lay would expropriate the assets each country would have only oil assets that are physically within its political borders Indeed, to protect against such a bleak world, a country would do well to increase exploration, the use of alternative energy sources, consumption and production efficiency, and the storage of reserves within its own borders, regardless of who owns the assets, while increasing the economy's flexibility to respond to oil supply disruptions. Uh, Even in such a bleak world, it's hard to imagine the market breaking down totally or for long indeed one can imagine black marketers and smugglers buying where oil is cheap and uh, transporting it to sell uh, to countries where oil is costly unless governments build leak probe barriers around their countries the cost would likely be prohibitive and implicit would uh, uh, sorry an implicit world price would be re-established we would then be back to the case we have already examined. Another bad move motive might be that state-owned commodity companies are flush with the profits that they would otherwise have to return to the government. What better way for management to spend those profits than to build foreign empires, Justifying the acquisitions with the time or not, it's uh, in the national interest. Of course, sweetening any such rationale would be any under... Uh, any under the table payments to acquiring managers if the transaction is non transparent the best way to secure the supply of a commodity is to ensure that the world market for that commodity is well informed and competitive and that the business environment is transparent and predictable Information on reserves and in investments helps market participants make sound business decisions. Competition keeps participants honest and process informative and allows consumers to reap the benefits. A predictable business environment allows businesses to invest for the long term. Transparency not only reduces uh, the costs associated with corruption but also protects businesses from future accusations of having obtained early sweet deals. The bottom line is that the the new mercantilism I own or more of others than they own of me, appealing as it may be, is not going to lead to more national security. Countries are collectively most secure if the control of uh, productive assets is in the hands of those who can manage them best. Indeed, anyone who takes or keeps controls uh, or or keeps control. Of an asset that someone else can manage more productively is contributing to both individual and collective insecurity the great game exact but exacerbated insecurity even as uh, each power try to secure itself let's hope that better sense will prevent this time so thank you friends here uh, today reading of A whole book I do what I do authored by Dr. Raghuram J. Rajan is or Hope you have liked and enjoyed it. Also you all have achieved little bit financial and economic literacy. uh, Actually which was my purpose behind reading this book. So thank you. Thank you very much and good night.